Later on this month, we have a short-term missions team leaving for Toronto, Ontario. And now this is a really special group and a special trip because even though Ontario is a lot like upstate New York in a lot of ways, Toronto is a really unique city. Statistically, Toronto is one of the most diverse cities in the whole world. And our team will be there spending the entire time learning about the Arabic culture and Islam. Now the point of this trip, just like all of our short-term missions trips, is discipleship. So this group of brothers and sisters, when they come home, they'll be able to relate to their Muslim friends and neighbors and coworkers in a way that's fresh and intentional. And it'll also help them build confidence to introduce spiritual conversations with the people around them. Let's pray for this group. Pray that, that God would allow them to open their hearts to receive everything he has for them on this trip. Let's pray for the people of Toronto, that they would be blessed by the ministry of our team while they're there. And pray for our brothers and sisters when they come home that they would be able to use everything that they've learned and experienced to shine even brighter for Jesus Christ here in the Capital Region. I've been on staff here at Grace for almost 10 years now, and I can tell you that as a church, we are blessed with an amazing staff team. And right now we have several open positions on our staff team in kids celebration and in childcare. So if you're someone who loves to work with kids and care for kids, this may be your opportunity to bless the body of Christ with your gifts as a staff member at Grace. You can find out all about these open positions on our website at gracefellowship.com jobs. As we roll into summer, giving for 2020 vision remains strong. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for your consistent giving to this campaign. And along with our new campaign giving total of $3.7 million, I'm excited to tell you that we just wrote another check for the humanitarian aid portion of 2020 Vision. Just this past month, we finished funding for a goat farm in Jinja, Uganda. This will be a vital resource for our ministry partners over there as they work towards self-sufficient funding for the wonderful ministry they have to children and orphans there in Jinja. You can find out more about 2020 Vision and find out all about the humanitarian aid portion of the campaign by visiting our campaign landing page. And now I'm going to turn things over to our campus pastors as they open the word for our teaching time today. You know, one of the things that gives me an incredible amount of joy in this life, maybe a little too much joy, is breakfast. I am a very big fan of breakfast. You just ask my family. There's a different kind of a smile that gets put in my face when I have my ideal breakfast that we cook and that I get a chance to eat. Doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it is a marker moment for me. I want to describe my perfect breakfast to you. Now, I'm going to describe it, not prescribe it to you. So in other words, it's not thus saith Pastor Mike, this is how breakfast needs to go. Because you know what? I respect your breakfast. I need you to hear me. I respect your breakfast. Everyone has preferences, and I can eat this, but I can't necessarily eat that. All I'm going to do is describe to you my breakfast. So here it is. My perfect breakfast starts off with fruit, orange juice to get things going, and a banana. Starting out healthy. You've got some vitamin C, you've got your potassium, you've got your energy ready to go for the day. Breakfast is uh, starting out in a very healthy way, although it might not end that way. One of the most important ingredients for breakfast, essential to the perfect breakfast for me is eggs. Got to have eggs. Now, you can poach them, you can scramble them, you can hard boil them, you can fry them any way you want them. You can even have them raw if you want. But for me, I've got to have eggs. 
if it's even going to be called breakfast. Now, there's breakfast side, so to speak, and a lot of people go with toast, a good choice. Everyone goes with toast. That's too easy. For me, I'm going to upgrade that. We're going to kick it into hash browns. Not cubed, not cubed. We're talking shredded hash browns, golden brown, delicious. A little bit of pepper, a little bit of garlic, just the right amount of oil. Now, breakfast is actually starting to smell great in your home, and it's getting me even hungrier. All of these ingredients are important to a good breakfast. But what puts breakfast into a different category, a different stratosphere, sets it apart, if you will, from all the other meals. In my perfect breakfast, there is an ingredient. And Saratoga, I'm looking at you. You guys know me so well. If you know me, you already know the answer to, to what puts it into a different stratosphere. I'm going to count to three. And we're going to say it in unison. I'm going to go one, two, three, and then we're going to say it together. You just shout it out right there in the sanctuary. All right, what puts breakfast in a whole different place for me is ready. One, two, three. Bacon. I hope you got that. I'm sure you did. Bacon. Not Canadian bacon. Substitute bacon. Bacon. You've mixed together some orange juice, banana, eggs, hash browns, and bacon. We're, we're off to a good day. Now, all those ingredients, when you separate them just individually, they're all good unto themselves. But it's not great until they're united as breakfast. You see, you need the ingredients to come together. Now, this is important, aside from just making us all hungry. It's important because we're going to look at ingredients over the next few weeks. In a much more profound way, we're going to look at ingredients that share with us, that inform our spirits on what we're created for. Who we are created to be in Christ. As individuals, as families, as local church, and ultimately as the church. We're going to look at a few different ingredients of what we're created for and who we are created to be in Christ. Not an exhaustive list, but in the next three weeks, here's where we're going. Today we're going to talk a lot about what it means to be in community together. That we are created for community, to be the church. And I'm going to use community of faith and church interchangeably in this message. Next week, we're going to blow the doors off of our understanding of worship, that we are created to worship God, dare I say, maybe even a little bit more than an hour and a half on a Sunday. And then finally, we're going to look at mission, that we are created for a specific mission that God has placed us on together. Community and worship and mission, these are some of the core ingredients of what it means to live out the calling of what we're created to be. To do so, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. And we're not going to go verse by verse through that book, but we're going to take certain selections from the book of Ephesians, and we're going to dig deep into those. So before we open up our Bibles today, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. But before we get there, I got one challenge for us. It's right at the beginning of the, this little study that we're doing. And that is to challenge us as a congregation to read through the book of Ephesians at least once per week for the duration of this series. It doesn't take you that long. It's six chapters in the Bible. 
maybe 20 minutes if, you, if you're taking your time to get through the book of Ephesians. But I want to put that challenge out there for you because I think it's important for us not just to view it as six different chapters in one book of the Bible, but to see Ephesians the way it was originally written as a letter, a Holy Spirit-inspired letter from the Apostle Paul to this church in Ephesus, a new church that was formed. And this church was trying to discover for themselves what they were created for in Christ. So if we read through one letter, just at least once a week, I believe that the word of God is going to is going to really indwell in us. And I think these messages are going to come even more alive to you. So go ahead and read the book of Ephesians at least once a week. But for today, I want us to talk about why it's important for us to be in community together. And as I mentioned, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, but there's a one context that I want you to hear as we get ready to dive into this, because we're going to dive in midstream into the Apostle Paul's thought in verse 11. You see, Paul, writing this letter to this church in Ephesus, the church was made of two different groups of people in a good mixture. You've got Jews and you've got Gentiles. And the way this worked is whenever Paul would be on one of his missionary journeys, he was Jewish. He would go find the synagogue. He would go find the leaders that were there, if, if that existed, and he would preach the gospel. He would share the gospel. He would get a good groundswell of, of support in the very, very beginnings of a church. Sometimes we forget that the earliest church, the first generations of the church were largely Jewish Christians. It wasn't until Paul and others started pushing those boundaries that the borders of Christianity started getting into the Gentile world. And well, who are the Gentiles, really? The Gentiles were the Romans, right? It was a, a Roman culture. Rome ruled the world back then. The Gentiles were the pagans. The Gentiles were the ones that tolerated the Jews. They worshipped many gods where the Jews worshipped one. And throughout each of Paul's missionary journeys, there was a mixture that would form of Jews and Gentiles. And sometimes they came together in really good ways. But oftentimes there was tension. Sometimes there was division. And you see this in the earliest history of the church. As you read through the book of Acts, you, you get a sense of this tension that existed between Jews and Gentiles. So that's a little bit of the context that we find ourselves in as Paul's writing here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Let me read to you a few verses. He says, Therefore, remember that you, formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, he's referring there to the Jews, right? The Jews called the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Paul's talking to the Gentiles, and he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Those are strong words from Paul speaking to the Gentiles. He finishes his thought, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What's happening here is Paul's calling out, specifically focusing on the Gentiles and saying, there was a time, if you remember, that you were excluded from fellowship with God, from citizenship with Israel. 
But then everything changed when Jesus came into your life and you began to understand who you are in Christ. There's a new identity that formed for the Gentiles when they became a part of this movement called the church. And that's really the first principle that I want us to see today. Why should we even focus on being created to be in community together as Christians? Why is that even important? We're created to be in community together, to be the church, first because it forms a new identity in us. I'm reminded of a, a good friend of mine named Todd. And I met Todd when we were in college together at Gordon. Gordon College is a small Christian school in the North Shore of Boston. And Todd, just, Todd and I had very different upbringings, to say the least. Not better, not worse, just very different. Let me describe this for you. I grew up in more of a, should we say, stable Christian home. I had two parents that loved each other. And my parents, they took us to church, so I grew up in the church. I studied all the Bible stories. I went to what we call kid celebration. I went to the, the children's ministry as a kid, and I learned about David and Goliath and Moses and Jonah and the whale. I grew up in the church. Todd did not. Todd grew up in a single-parent situation, and his mother loved him and provided everything she could for him, but she didn't share a Christian faith. Todd never set foot in the doors of a church. Todd embraced a lifestyle in his teenage years of going a little bit uh, to the left. Not politically, just he veered off to the side. He got really hooked into the wrong crowd. He got the wrong friends. He got really hooked in, in a, as a teenager to the party culture and a drinking culture, and that led into to drugs as well. And he made a train wreck of his life. And his mother didn't know what to do with him. So by the time I met him at Gordon, the two of us were very different human beings. I went to Gordon. Again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to put one as far as better than the other. It's just very different. I went to Gordon in the hopes of becoming a minister someday, that I could be doing this. Todd went to Gordon because it was the last stop on what he called his reclamation tour. His mom was out of options, and she sent him to a Christian school to try to fix him, to try to help him in some way. He didn't know the first thing about church. Let me just read to you this phrase again. From, uh, this is from Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the what? By the blood of Christ. See, I grew up understanding what that means. Todd did not. He said, why are we talking about Jesus and his blood? I'll spare you a lot of the, the stories of the sagas of the, our friendship, but the numerous friends poured into Todd, shared the gospel with him, not just taught him how to be a part of a church, but shared with him the core parts of the gospel, and he began to change. It took him a while, but he began to understand God's love. He understood his own brokenness and sinfulness. He understood that he needed to change his life, not just attend church, and he became a Christian. I think of him a lot as I read this passage because he really fits the bill of someone who is far away, not understanding the covenants of God, not understanding the, the power of what it means to be a part of the church, the community of faith that we talk about and that we experience here now. But once he figured it out, it changed him. 
It changed his identity. So we are created to be a part of this movement of God called the church because it changes who we are. It changed Todd. It showed him that he is not designed to live his life of faith solo as an individual. Oh, there is that connection, and don't misunderstand me. We need to have that connection between a sinful, broken person and the God that has saved him or her. We need that connection. But our faith, hear me on this, our faith is not meant to be lived in isolation. We are designed, we are created to be in community together. Firstly, because it changes our identity. No longer were the Gentiles excluded from the covenants of God, from the promises of God, from hope. They were included in the church through Jesus Christ. Which leads me to the second principle here that we encounter as we look at Ephesians. Why are we created to be in community together? Well, first we talked about because it forms a new identity in us. And secondly, being a part of the community of faith that we call the church produces a unity and an inclusion that is miraculous and that speaks to the world. What in the world do I mean by that? Let's keep reading here, starting in verse 14. For he, being Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Check this out. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You see, what the church is, this community of faith, it represents something so powerful. It represents a new humanity that God has unleashed in this world. And we are honored and privileged to be a part of it. Just a quick history lesson in that ancient culture that Paul was writing in. Those with, see if any of this rings true for our world today. Those with money and power and influence and education were the ones that set the rules for the rest of society. The gap between the haves and the have-nots was even greater than we can comprehend today. Women were not valued in that culture. They were looked upon as second-class citizens. And unless they had political connections, they were excluded from so many of the groups. Slavery was commonplace. You had slaves and you had slave masters, and this was just accepted in that culture back then. The Jews and the Gentiles, uh, that's the example that Paul's writing about here, they could not have been more different in the way they approached life and saw each other. See if this rings a bell. See if you can translate this to our current world. The Jews saw themselves as morally superior. You know any churches in our world today that view themselves as morally superior and they almost look down on the rest of the culture, on those Gentiles, those heathens, those pagans? The Gentiles tolerated the Jews. Like I said before, Rome was in charge back then. They were the ones calling the shots. The Jews had one God. The Gentiles had multiple gods to govern life. There was a tension that existed 
that went into a core worldview difference. Into those tensions, Jesus Christ came to change everything. I'm going to read verse 14 again. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one. He talks about barriers, destroying the barrier, destroying the wall of hostility that existed. You see, why are we created to be in community together? Because it speaks something very powerful to the world. There is a unity and an inclusion that can only come by the power of God. The church has a new identity, and that is focused on Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a a passage in in another letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church that speaks to this. Let me read this for you from Galatians chapter 3. This might be a familiar passage to to many of you here. Galatians chapter 3. The apostle Paul writes, I want to make sure I have my place here. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That sound inclusive? You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is revolutionary, and I need you to understand that. Why should we be a part of a community of faith that is the church? Because it speaks something powerful to the rest of the world. That every single one of us is in the same boat. Every one of us is a sinner. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter where you come from or what your worldview was. The same gospel is open for everybody. The church should be in the forefront of this. That's our mission. That's our identity. Why become a a part of a community of faith? First, it gives you a new identity. And secondly, it redefines humanity itself. Let me read just from this passage in Ephesians again. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out from the two. And make no mistake about it, it's not just regulated to the Jew-Gentile divide. It hits every aspect of culture. 2,000 years ago, it hits every aspect of our culture today. It is a radical redefinition of humanity. That's why we are designed, created in Christ for community together. Say it again. We are not made, we are not designed to live our life of faith in isolation. We are meant to be with other Christians on the forefront of redefining humanity. How's that for a mission statement? But let's keep going because there's a dimension to this that needs to be called out here, and that is the third principle is that the Holy Spirit is what gives the church its life. Look at verse 18. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I'm going to go ahead and make an obvious statement. There are many social organizations that exist in our world today. Many good causes. 
There are many organizations that have been around for hundreds of years. They have their own creed, their own mission statement, their own core values. They rally together. They serve in the community. They, they are forces, really, for good in this world. So what separates the church apart from just any other social organization? Simply put, it is the role of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing the life of the church. We'll come out with it and say it. Church has been around for 2,000 years. And we've got some bumps along the way. We've experienced some bumps in our past, some dark moments that we are not, uh, well, it's not our best look. God keeps working through our brokenness. His Holy Spirit keeps guiding us even now as imperfect people lead God's perfect church. But the thing that separates us out is the Holy Spirit, is what gives us our life. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been to a, I'll use my quotation marks here, have you ever been to a, a church? A church in name only. Just because someone puts an organizational name and slaps the word church on, it doesn't necessarily make it so. A church without the Holy Spirit guiding it, directing it, leading it. A church without its leadership focused on the Holy Spirit in prayer. A church that exists to be a social organization is not a church. The Holy Spirit gives us access to God the Father. And if God is leading his church, it ceases to become, ceases being my church or any other Christian leader. And it goes right where it belongs, is God's church. The Holy Spirit gives the church life. But Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. That's our the final principle here, is that Jesus himself is the cornerstone of the church. Let's keep reading here in uh, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He defines who we are. He's the one that shed his blood to give us the freedom, the experience, the power to have the Holy Spirit guide our church. It all comes down to Jesus. You see, the church is meant to be alive. But the church is meant to glorify Christ. There's another passage of scripture that I want to take you to from 1 Peter that really does speak to this truth. It reinforces the point we just heard. 1 Peter chapter 2, just a couple of verses in verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The church is meant to be alive. So who are we? We are the church. We are created to be in community with one another. Yes, for our own spiritual growth, but also for the growth of our families. 
families come alive. Families are drawn together in ways that you cannot manufacture aside from being a part of this living organization called the church. And not just individuals and families. But you've heard me use this phrase over and over and over again in Saratoga. We are a church family. We are these living stones. And we look to Jesus as the cornerstone of our faith, as our, our north stars, our, our guidepost to make sure that we're not going off course. Jesus is the one who defines our reality. But make no mistake about it, we are the church that he has empowered. Can't do it alone, people. You see, to be the church, to be alive in Christ, it necessitates an understanding that we're not just here for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. I'm not here to just do my time to come and worship God, to have a worship service, to hear a scripture being preached, to maybe even offer up some prayers and have some lobby conversations over incredible coffee. That's not our existence as the church. Our existence as the church is to be living stones built on the cornerstone of Christ, meant to be a witness to the rest of the world of God's love and God's power in action. This is why we are created, to be in community together. It all comes down to our devotion to Christ. You see, we have this, I want to use the word responsibility, and it is that. It, it absolutely is. But it's a privilege. We have a privilege. We have an honor to represent Jesus to the rest of the world. Now, let's just be transparent. Let's be honest here. We, we kind of have made a living in messing that up. As I mentioned before, God uses imperfect people and individuals and leaders to lead his perfect church. And somehow... In the long winding road of 2,000 year history of God's church, God is still sovereign. He still shows his grace and power through the church, even though we have made it a science in messing things up sometimes. So in the time we have left, I want to share just a few principles with you. of Not only what the church is, because I think we've defined that, but how we can engage with this community of faith that we're each called to. So just to review real quick, as we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, the community of faith that we are each created for, it gives us an identity. It gives us a unity and inclusion that is miraculous, and it speaks to the rest of the world about God's power and God's love. We are made alive and set apart by the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what sets us aside from being just another social organization that's here to make strides in society. We are here to transform the world into a new humanity. The cornerstone of everything is Jesus Christ. We are called to be living stones. We are called to be an alive church. Those are some pretty important ingredients to assemble together. So, practically speaking, how are we to engage with the church? Well, just a few quick words to that. First is to understand that church is not, referring to is not showing up to a building for an hour and a half, 
to sit in a worship service in really comfortable chairs, to sip really delicious coffee or your beverage of choice, drop our children off in kid celebration so they can be entertained and, and not just entertained. Every Casey director at Grace Fellowship wants to just right now. They can be educated. They can grow in their faith as we grow in ours. For us to hear a worship service and sing some songs and some prayers, and then collect our children, get in the car and go home. Folks, if that's the existence of the church, if that's all we're here to do, then we have completely failed in living out what God has called us to as his church. I want to challenge you to see the church differently right now. How can you engage with what God has instituted? First is to make sure that we are intentionally building relationships with other Christians, that you're not just showing up to church, sitting in the back of the room, then leaving. That works for a season of time and given the right situation, but that cannot be your existence. You need to walk across the room, so to speak. Introduce yourselves to other Christians. Rely on the strength that God provides through the friendship and the counsel of other Christians that are walking through the same issues that you're walking through. Because I have news for you. If we excluded people that don't have all their stuff together from entering our sanctuary, the sanctuary would be completely empty, present company included. Everyone has their struggles. Everyone's walking through dark times. Everyone needs faith in Christ to sustain them. And you are not alone in that. So take comfort that you were created to be in a community of faith together because there are other Christians that are experiencing the same life struggles that you are. Secondly, your goal for being in church is to experience God in a powerful way. That he would speak to you. And that you would take how God speaks to you when you gather together as his church and that you would unleash that on the rest of your world as you leave that building. Because as we all know, buildings are simply ministry tools. They are not churches. They are just ministry tools. The people of God are the church. You were to take what God speaks to you into your life and you were to unleash that in your home. You were to unleash that in your workplace. You were to unleash that in your local community. You were to unleash that for those around you that maybe you don't count as friends. You were to live as an example, a living stone, if you will, of God's grace in action. That is how we become the church that God has designed us to be. Not just to receive it, but to live it. Not just to take it in, but to give it out to the rest of the world. This is how the church grows, and this is why we are called to be in community together. So we draw strength as the church to be God's witnesses to the world. But practically, let me just speak to this real quick. It's kind of hard to do that. If you choose to call this community of faith your home, and you're there every, I don't know, three, four, six, eight weeks. Once, a, once in a while, I'll take part in the community of faith. Now, here at Grace Fellowship, thankfully, we're not, we're not in the business of taking church attendance. That's not 
I don't believe that's godly. That's not how we do things here. But it's important. If you really view your church, this community of faith as a family, it's important for the family to gather together. And that's what happens, not just on Sunday mornings, but in so much of the life that occurs in the church outside of the boundaries of Sunday mornings. It's important for the family to gather together. And if you're just sort of casually checking out the community of faith, when it's convenient for you, I want to extend that challenge to you. Reprioritize the things in your life and allow the community of faith to be something you were created for instead of something that sometimes fits into your schedule. Not because a pastor's preaching at you saying this is what you need to do. No, never, ever because of that. But because you understand the power of what it means to be a part of this community of faith. It's something you are drawn to. It's something that you are excited about. It is something where you block away the rest of the world and you intently focus on God's life given to you. You are never content to just stay where you are in your life of faith because you understand (laughs) I'm not meant to live my Christian faith in isolation. So if you hear me today, church, Understand this community of faith is not here for your convenience. It is meant and it is designed for your sustenance. You see, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he clearly understood the need, if the church is going to grow, if individuals are going to grow, if the movement of God is going to continue, the people of God need to be together. So that's why he wrote what he wrote here. We're not here just to have a social club. We're here to change the world. That's giving a little bit of a preview of our final week as we talk about mission. We're here to change the world. God uses this new humanity to be a radical statement of the power of the gospel. You and I, lean in for this part. Half Moon, Saratoga, just lean, lean in a little bit here for this part. You and I have this honor to be a part of the greatest redemption story of all time. And that's true of your individual life as God has saved you and redeemed you. But that's also true of our community of faith. So it's a privilege to be a part of the movement of God here. So I'm going to close with this, this final statement. Instead of attending church, let's be the church. Say that again and give you space to maybe write that one down. Instead of attending the church, it's time that we become and we be the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, empower us through your Holy Spirit, to be the church that you've called us to be. You've designed us, Lord, to be in community together. You've created a new humanity that has stood the test of time for 2,000 years and counting. So, Lord, in this moment, we look to you to be our very identity, that it would change for us. Lord, we look to you to provide this unity and inclusion under Jesus Christ that speaks powerfully to the world around us. 
Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us even now to see ourselves as different, to bring life to your church. Holy Spirit, bring life to your church. And Father, we know and we understand and we declare boldly that the very cornerstone of our faith, the very existence for our being is Jesus himself. Father, empower us to be your church. In your name we pray, amen.